SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. You're a Damarong, I'm your host Luana Grant and welcome to NITV Radio for this Friday the 15th of September. Coming up on today's program, NITV Radio caught up with Freedom Collective artists in our Melbourne studio earlier this week ahead of their Songs for Freedom concert tonight at Melbourne Recital Centre. Also coming up on today's show, accusations of misinformation and lies are being thrown around on both sides of the campaign around an Indigenous voice to Parliament. It comes as AFL legend Michael Long finished a 19-day walk from Melbourne to Canberra to garner support for the Yes campaign. And I catch up with Gomorrah man Dr Clinton Schultz, Director of First Nations Partnership and Strategy at the Black Dog Institute, who discusses the set of principles which have been launched to encourage more civil and inclusive debate around the Indigenous voice to Parliament. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. In this bulletin, the Prime Minister paid tribute to AFL great Michael Long. Jacinta Price is warning that the voice to Parliament would divide the nation. And Linda Burney says Senator Price's comments on the impact of colonisation are, betra- are a betrayal to First Nations peoples. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has urged MPs to spread a message of love, hope and reconciliation ahead of a referendum on an Indigenous voice. Federal Parliament rose for a four-week break yesterday, not returning until after Australians vote on the 14th of October. Speaking ahead of the constitutional vote, the Prime Minister paid tribute to AFL great Michael Long, who completed a walk to Canberra, urging colleagues to campaign for the yes vote. Michael Long has made a lot of steps all the way from Melbourne. He is a great Australian. He's a great Australian who cares for his people, but importantly, he's a great Australian who cares for his country. And Australia will be a better country if we wake up on October 15, having voted yes. Opposition leader Peter Dutton has backed an Indigenous senator who claims colonisation had a positive impact, urging Australians to listen to her rather than capital city views.
Coalition Senator Jacinta Nampajimpa-Price is warning that the voice to parliament would divide the nation, using a National Press Club speech to say the gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians was not caused by systematic racism. She also rejected suggestions British colonisation had a negative impact on Indigenous people, resulting in intergenerational trauma. There's no ongoing negative impacts of uh, colonisation. If we keep telling Aboriginal people that they are victims, we are effectively removing their agency uh, and then giving them the expectation that someone else is responsible for their lives. The opposition leader praised her courage, saying Senator Price's comments represented a broad range of views as she had grown up in Alice Springs. Minister for Indigenous Australians Linda Burney has said that Senator Price's comments on the impact of colonisation are betrayal to First Nations peoples. Minister Burney has said while out campaigning for the yes vote this morning that the Senator's comments are simply wrong and offensive to those affected by historic injustices like the Stolen Generation. Minister Burney says that a voice to Parliament will seek to remedy the long and far-reaching effects of colonial policy for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Things like life expectancy, things like educational outcomes, overcrowding, uh, incarceration rates, they are the issues that the voice will be dealing with. And it is so important to recognise the full story of Australia. A prominent no campaigner for an Indigenous voice to Parliament has called for civility in the referendum debate. Warren Mundine says the democratic process needs to be respected and that includes the need for calm debate that avoids targeting individuals and adding to mental distress. He says he himself has been the target of abuse during the referendum campaign and he says it has to stop. We need to move away from this vitriolic Uh, uh, arguments and fights uh, because my concern is that we don't uh, wake up on Sunday and and the whole place is on fire. We we really want people to, no matter what the decision is, it's a democracy, people will make that choice and we must all accept it and we must then work together to to deal with the issues that are happening in uh, Indigenous communities. For culturally appropriate Indigenous support, call 13 YARN and Lifeline can be contacted on 13 11 14. A woman has died after being tasered by New South Wales police during a standoff where she allegedly threatened them with an axe. Officers were called to a Newcastle unit just after 12.30pm yesterday following reports a woman was threatening people with the weapon. The 47-year-old allegedly threatened officers when they arrived before barricading herself inside a unit. Specialist tactical officers were called to assist with negotiations before police were able to enter the property several hours later, about 9.45pm. Police used a taser while attempting to arrest the woman. She was taken to John Hunter Hospital where she later died. A crime scene has been established and the Homicide Squad will investigate. Multiple regional schools will be built and existing campuses upgraded under a billion-dollar investment to be allocated in the upcoming New South Wales budget.
The Minns Labor government will deliver its first budget on Tuesday, promising to rebuild essential services while battling growing state debt. The budget will allocate $1.4 billion over four years to upgrade or build public schools across regional New South Wales. Education Minister Prue Carr says communities across regional New South Wales were in urgent need of schools and upgrades to existing buildings. Universities Australia has welcomed a parliamentary inquiry report on sexual consent laws, saying it is an important step in the ongoing work to address the societal issue of sexual harm. The group, which represents 39 universities, says members have an unwavering commitment to combat this scourge of sexual harm. It says it is working with a campaigner against family violence, Paddy Kinnersley, the CEO of Our Watch, to develop ways to strengthen university governance. Chair of the inquiry, Liberal Senator Paul Scar, says the committee was unanimous in its support of 17 recommendations for reform, including the immediate creation of an independent task force to address a woeful culture of sexual assault response. The dedicated and courageous advocates for university students who have suffered from sexual violence on campus should hold the view that the process of making complaints and how universities and the regulator deal with such complaints is causing great trauma to the victims of sexual violence. In the strongest terms, the committee says that this is a shameful state of affairs. It is unacceptable. A federal inquiry into Brisbane's preparedness to host the 2032 Olympics has called for an urgent review of the $2.7 billion revamp of the Gabba Stadium. A Senate committee urged the Palaszczuk government to reconsider the decision to host the event at the Gabba and the massive rebuild in an interim report released yesterday. The review comes after Victoria withdrew from hosting the 2026 Commonwealth Games after claims of an estimated $7 billion cost blowout. Costs for the Gabba rebuilds have more than doubled, now estimated at $2.7 billion, increasing capacity by 8,000 seats to 50,000, with land between the stadium and nearby Southbank declared a priority development area. And now for a look at today's weather. Perth, a shower or two, 22. Adelaide, mostly sunny, 20. Melbourne, mostly sunny, 23. Hobart, a possible shower, 19. Albury-Wodonga, mostly sunny, 25. Canberra, much the same, 24. Wollongong, mostly sunny, 26. Sydney, smoke, 26. Newcastle, mostly sunny, 27. Brisbane, partly cloudy, 25. Townsville, mostly sunny, 28. Cairns, partly cloudy, 27. Alice Springs, sunny, 33. Darwin, mostly sunny, 35. And the Torres Strait Islands, mostly sunny, 30. And that is NITV Radio News. TV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. You're with NITV Radio. 
Welcome back. I'm your host, Lawana Grant, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show, NITV Radio caught up with Freedom Collective artists in our Melbourne studios ahead of their Songs for Freedom concert tonight in Melbourne. And I catch up with Gomorrah man Dr. Clinton Schultz, Director of First Nations Partnership and Strategy at the Black Dog Institute. But first... Accusations of misinformation and lies are being thrown around on both sides of the campaign around an Indigenous voice to Parliament. It comes as AFL legend Michael Long finished a 19-day walk from Melbourne to Canberra to garner support for the Yes campaign. Katrina Stewart reports. The end of a long walk and the start of an intensified campaign. AFL legend Michael Long has just finished a 19-day trek from Melbourne to Canberra to raise support for an Indigenous voice to Parliament. He was welcomed to the nation's capital by the Prime Minister. We are being asked as Australians to walk just a few short steps. Michael just walked from Melbourne. I walked from just across the lake. He's walked a long way. I was asked and invited to walk a short way. That is what is going on over the next four and a half weeks. That is the opportunity that we have. The AFL champion and First Nations advocate first walked the same route in 2004, protesting then-Prime Minister John Howard's decision to disband the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission. Michael Long says he's failed to see adequate change for Indigenous Australians since then. In the 19 years since that meeting, the gap between non-Indigenous and Indigenous Australians has not closed. In some, some areas, it's widened, according to our Productivity Commission latest report. That's why we set out from Melbourne again 19 days ago. A yes vote in the referendum on the voice to Parliament will give Indigenous people the self-determination that we asked for all those years ago. But the No campaign has pushed back against these kinds of statements. The Opposition Minister for Indigenous Australians, Jacinta Nampajimpa-Price, has used a National Press Club speech to say the voice to Parliament is built on lies. She says it's not true that Indigenous Australians do not already have a voice pointing to herself as one of 11 Indigenous members currently in Parliament. Remember, it is the Labor Party who have gone down this path of division by hitching recognition, which most Australians support, to the voice. The Coalition is consistent on supporting recognition, but we, rightly, say no to a divisive voice. If the referendum goes down, that's on Labor for choosing a divisive and non-consultative path which sets back recognition. The no side have been accused of using alleged misinformation and fear tactics as part of their campaign. Text messages have been sent out in the lead-up to the voice referendum, urging recipients to vote no and advising them to apply for a postal vote. An advocate for the No campaign, Nyungai Man and former Labor Party president, Warren Mundine, has defended the text messaging approach. He says both sides of the campaign should refocus their efforts to the question at hand. We need to move away from this vitriolic uh, arguments and fights uh, because my concern is that we don't uh, wake up on Sunday and, and the whole place is on fire. 
we, we really want people to, no matter what the decision is, it's a democracy, people will make that choice and we must all accept it. The final sitting day of Parliament before the break has also been dominated by questions around national security. Labor has introduced new laws that will require former soldiers and defence staff to get approval before they work for a foreign government or military service. Defence Minister Richard Miles says the new laws will identify people who may be working either unwittingly or deliberately for a foreign entity or government. He says the legislation would also give Washington and London greater confidence in Australia's commitment to keeping secrets under the AUKUS agreement, through which it will acquire nuclear-propelled submarines. This bill will ensure individuals in possession of sensitive defence information who want to undertake these activities first seek authorisation to do so. This is to ensure their activities are not damaging to Australia's national interests. Meanwhile, there have been calls from independent MPs for the federal government to release a declassified version of a report on Australia's climate security risk. Independent MP Zali Stegall says Australians have a right to see the document. So why is the Australian government keeping secret from the Australian people what it knows about the magnitude of this threat? How can members of parliament effectively discharge their duties and oversee policy making and departmental performance in defence, climate, immigration, intelligence and foreign affairs portfolios when crucial information pertaining to climate risk has not been available to them? But Prime Minister Anthony Albanese says the government won't release the assessment completed by the Office of National Intelligence in the last 12 months because it contains classified information. Katrina Stirrett, SBS News. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. Welcome back. I'm your host, Luana Grant, and you're listening to NITV radio. As the debate over the Indigenous Voice to Parliament is heating up, a set of principles have been launched to encourage more civil and inclusive debate to reduce social and emotional stress to First Nations people. I caught up with Gomorrah man Dr Clinton Schultz, Director of First Nations Partnership and Strategy at the Black Dog Institute, who talks more to the impacts the debate is having on our communities and what we can do to look out for our mental health and well-being as we head towards voting day. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Clinton Schultz, Director of First Nations Partnership and Strategy at the Black Dog Institute. Thanks so much for joining me today on NITV Radio. Thanks for having us along. Firstly, can you please give our audience some insight into the Black Dog Institute and the work that you do there? Yeah, no worries at all. So the Black Dog Institute is a medical mental health research institute. Uh, We work Australia-wide. Our focus is predominantly in looking at how do we take research into translation so that it can be purposeful and useful um, to the consumer, to the public. Uh, my role within the Institute as the Director of First Nations Strategy and Partnerships is to look after all our social emotional wellbeing uh, based research and um, initiatives. 
And on Wednesday, the 6th of September, a set of principles were launched uh, to encourage more civil and inclusive debate over the Indigenous Voice to Parliament. Can you explain what those set of principles are? Yeah, so basically we put together a set of seven uh, principles to help guide the referendum dialogue from a political level uh, in a more respectful way that is more mindful of the social emotional well-being impacts that the discourse the dialogue can have uh, on our well-being as first nations peoples so we took that down to parliament last week and had uh, really strong support from uh, the labor house uh, from the crossbenchers and from the greens uh, we haven't had such great support from the liberal party as yet mm-hmm. and are you able to go into what some of those seven principles were yeah, they're very basic things. There is nothing extraordinary within these. Uh, it's basically asking people to be more respectful, to be more inclusive, uh, to be more mindful of social and emotional well-being and the impacts that people's voices can actually have and the influence that voice can actually have uh, in this space. Really just, as I said, trying to focus people on the fact that there's human beings at the centre of that, being us as mob. And we need to not this not let this debate become overly overly politicised and forget the human toll that it can actually have. And alongside the Black Dog Institute, which other organisations assisted in the development of these um, principles? We were really fortunate to get to work with some of the leading peak bodies in the social emotional wellbeing space on this. So Gaia Jui, uh, Proud Spirit, which is the leading peak for social emotional well-being with uh, Indigenous Allied Health Australia, peak body for Allied Health, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Allied Health Workers, and with AIPA, the Australian Indigenous Psychologists Association. And how long did it take to develop these principles, um, you know, once you all met and how did the process kind of come about? Yeah, we carefully developed these principles over a couple of of months and, and it was based on research. So we distilled the research that has been done on how um, sensitive dialogues can be taken from a political level uh, to better support the well-being of of vulnerable groups and distilled the information that we could find down there to to these seven principles that we put forward. So it happened over a space of a couple of months and uh, we were fortunate enough to get to uh, launch those formally down in Canberra last week. And lately there has been more discussion growing around the impact that the referendum debate is having on the emotional well-being and mental health of First Nations people as we draw closer towards voting day. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about this and what can people do to get support at this time if they need it? Yeah, for sure. So I'm a registered psychologist by profession and I've had uh, many people who have personally contacted me saying that they're experiencing increased amounts of psychological distress and that psychological distress being associated with uh, the voice and the referendum discussions and all the pressure that is coming on community members from that. Uh, and it's been similar conversa- conversations that I've uh, had with my, my peers and colleagues working in the social and emotional wellbeing space. So I think it's well recognised from a grassroots level now that this is having an impact on community members' social and emotional wellbeing. Some of the things that I think uh, can help uh, in terms of from us at a personal level 
is as much as it's possible to disengage, uh, particularly from some of the social media commentary that is coming through. I know it's difficult in a in an age where we're so sort of connected to each other through uh, social media platforms, but I think at times we need to allow ourselves to disengage from that, particularly when there's quite vitriol language being used and, and commentary running across those platforms. The other thing that I'd recommend is that we maintain those connections that are really important to our overall social and emotional well-being. So really look at what's what's integral to me and my well-being. Um, how am I in those spaces at the moment? If I'm not doing so great, what is it that I can do to maintain and build on those important connections, be it to country, be it to family, be it to community, culture, spirituality, whatever else it might be for people. Yeah, and this week, you know, we're marking Are You OK Day. And for people out there that are feeling the negative effects on their mental health, do you have any advice where people can seek help and any other last words that you want to share with everyone? I'd absolutely recommend that people are, if people are experiencing significant psychological distress, uh, that they contact 13 Yarn, and 13 Yarn can be a great uh, resource for them in terms of helping them find further resources. There's also a website called WellMob that I think uh, people can easily access and they've got some resources on there that can be beneficial in terms of looking after your own social and emotional well-being at this time. Yeah, it's a very important topic to, you know, be talking about at the moment, not just on Are You OK Day, but, you know, in the lead up and also after the referendum as well, the impacts that this will have on our mental health and our well-being. So thank you so much for coming on and having a chat to NITV Radio today. No, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Welcome back. You're with NITV Radio. NITV Radio's Bertrand Tungandami caught up with Freedom Collective artists in our Melbourne studios ahead of their Songs for Freedom concert tonight at Melbourne Recital Centre. Songs for Freedom is an inspiring concert bringing soul, blues and unique country music to audiences around the country created by artists in the Roburn community in WA to raise awareness of the disproportionate incarceration rates of First Nations children in Australian prisons. Bertrand has more. I'm joined by the Freedom Collective artists ahead of their performance at the Melbourne Recital Centre later this week as part of the final leg of their national tour presenting their latest album, Songs of Freedom. Gentlemen, first, thanks for joining us and welcome to Night TV Radio. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, before we go into this conversation, I'll just ask you to say a few words about yourselves and then we'll go into our interview starting my <coughs> right. Okay, um, I'm David Himes. Uh, I'm the guitarist in the show, an occasional harmonica player, and I've been working uh, in Roburn for this project for uh, around about 10 years, so I'm very happy to have that continu- continuity through the, the years with the show. Hi, I'm Fred Ryan. I've probably joined these guys, I think it's been around three years now. We've been working together in Robin with the songwriting workshops and whatnot, and now lucky enough to come on tour with the guys across the country and um, looking forward to finishing this tour off. Patrick Chanside, I'm a songman from Robin. Touring the country, we're singing songs of freedom for the nation 
and to raise awareness about the incarceration rates of Aboriginal children in prisons. Jay Jerome here, originally from Brow Beyond. Uh, I'm the keys player in the band, and I do a bit of other things. Um, been involved with this beautiful project for about two years now, uh, and it's such a great honour and privilege to be um, a part of. Lucky Oceans, originally from USA, now living on Wajaknuga lands out in West Australia. Been part of this almost as long as David Hyams and feel very lucky to be part of this project, which is very, very special, Songs of Freedom. Special song for freedom, and uh, just if you read in the news just uh, yesterday, something you're always thinking about, uh, about this over-incarceration, and you're trying to raise awareness about this uh, big stain on this country, the over-representation of uh, First Nations people, especially the youth in uh, the justice system. And uh, just yesterday, we're talking about yet another inquest into an Aboriginal death in custody in uh, Queensland, actually. Yes. And it's been almost 40 years since um, the first, the person who actually um, inspired the Freedom Collective and uh, all these big heart projects, it's been for, in two weeks, less than two weeks, 28th of September, it'll be 40 years since uh, was up. The one we call Muru in language, yeah, but also known as Brother John Pat. John Pat, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right, Bertrand. It's been some 40 years now, you know, since the death of John Pat in custody. And 40 years on, we're still seeing statistics like 51% of children locked up, you know, from 3% of the indigenous population in prisons still tonight, or today, if you will. And that's something that we need to raise awareness about, but how do we do that is, um, you know, through a concert like this that speaks to the nation and also speaks to the heart of those lawmakers and decision makers around the country. Now, this is uh, the last leg of your national tour. You've been to Canberra, you've been to Perth, you've been to Hobart and Sydney. And how does it feel being in Melbourne, just closing your national tour? Uh, it, it feels pretty good. The concert has gone from strength to strength. Mm. You know, this last leg we played Sydney, and the Attorney General Mark Dreyfus came, and he he his advisors had to tear him away, <laughs> and then he came to see us. We played in Parliament House in Canberra, and they set up a working group, a cross-party working group, to look into diversionary funds and raising the age criminal age of responsibility. Mm. And and then our concert in Canberra was just amazing. It just it felt like we could do no wrong, and, and we're we're gathering momentum and spreading the message with this beautiful music that opens hearts. So Melbourne is is just going to be the icing on the cake. You've had an opportunity to tour the country and see the reaction of the people, and at the same time, you can see that the message is being heard. As you mentioned, raising the age of minimum minimum criminal responsibility has been around. Governments of all sides have just been, you know, slow walking this uh, process, and uh, they keep 
putting little kids in jail. And yeah. But it costs a million dollars to keep a kid in jail for a year. I mean, surely we could appeal to people's hip pockets, <laughs> if not their hearts. Well, it's the politicians you need to convey. Because the yeah, people that, know, these are kids, they're babies, a 10-year-old, 11-year-old. They barely know what's happening around them, and then you jail them for... for petty petty yeah. sort of crimes, but also, I guess, you could say that most of those caught in the justice system, you know, uh, haven't actually been sentenced, so they're actually waiting on remand for sentencing. And, and some of those conditions of sentencing is where we'd like to, you know, raise the issue about the justice system and, and how does it help diversion of young people. I mean, if we was to be serious in talking human anatomy, 10 to 14 year olds are at the stage of their lives, they're only just losing the last set of their baby teeth. And we have laws in place, you know, in this country that lock them away. And, and that's the sort of tragedy that we need to try to address, but also make aware to, you know, decision makers about the justice reform and, and how it can be, I guess, reinvested, if, if you will. As Mr. Lucky said, you know, coming from Canberra, talking to politicians in a, in a courtyard and, and getting their heartfelt emotions to hear this plight of what we're raising awareness about it has been, I think, fantastic. And some of those, you know, ministers have come forward now saying, how can we help and, and what are some of the strategies that we can use to help this justice reinvestment or reform? Yeah, justice reinvestment is what's needed because some of these uh, crimes are talking about are usually just um, a result of maybe dysfunctional families or poverty or so many other issues that need to be addressed before you can even talk about uh, incarceration or anything like that. And uh, justice reinvestment has been around, but politicians don't get to hear that message. It doesn't go through. The people do listen because it's their kids, their families, and they're likely, whether they're indigenous or not, more likely indigenous because we know the justice system here. Uh, there's still some systemic racism or even um, other forms of uh, injustices happening, but anyone could have their kid, their kid could find themselves behind bars just for something as minor as maybe picking up a lolly in the supermarket. Maybe. Snagging some rollies in the shops because they're hungry or something. Yeah, and their kids, they're still, their formative years and uh, their brains haven't yet even developed fully and yet we put them in jail. And politicians are happy with that. stood out for me as well is when we were doing the uh, Darwin gig and because we're inside in the theatre you can kind of hear everything. And and while you were talking, Pat, I was listening to the crowd and when you're reading out the statistics, you know, there was a lot of, like, people are gasping... In disbelief, like we didn't realise, kind of that these were the statistics, you know, and mm. so that to me then, you know, resonated. Thinking, okay, well, maybe we haven't educated the public as to how serious this problem really is. Maybe, there, you know, we need to get out and 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 shout it out to the world that these are pretty horrific stats that we're working with, and. Um, and then you see, like, like last when we did Canberra the other day, and you got the standing ovation when you when you're giving those stories to the songs and that, and people appreciate it more, you know. So that was that stood with stuck with me from Darwin. That just listening to the gasps in the crowd when yeah. Patrick was reading that statistics, and that was incredible. Yeah. Those heartfelt messages of freedom and hope from the people, I guess, is 
you know, the key in where we say through music and performing arts, it creates a wider message to the, you know, nation of Australia, if you will. Yeah, I mean, people said about the concert, uh, they said, I didn't expect to leave filled with hope and uplifted because it's such a dark story that we're telling. And, and we're even partnered with the Justice Reform Initiative to to make people more aware of, of this, you know, shameful. But the concert itself is an uplifting experience. And there's even mob ticket prices available isn't there so so go to melbourne recital center for tickets you know, online and there's there's mob tickets mob uh, can attend because not yeah. everyone can afford it yeah. and, uh, you yeah. make a special concession for mob that's uh, very generous of you guys yeah. now this is a very heartfelt song when if you don't listen to the lyrics it's just a very happy song normally and yet it's a sad message you're conveying maybe Brother Fred, you can talk about what Songs of Freedom meant for you, writing it and actually going through the motions of, of actually what it meant to, or what it actually means now that we've, we've toured it around the country and, you know, people give us the feedback that says, wow, we, we, we haven't heard such music, you know, original uplifting music that comes to speak to our hearts. The song itself stemmed from the workshops that Lucky and Dave are running there in Roven and they do every year and um, it was an, an eye-opener for me having an invite to come across and have a listen and, and contribute to these workshops and then after going back to my place um, after that and um, Songs of Freedom came from me sitting in the backyard thinking what an incredible experience just watching everyone throw lyrics out the board and then at the end of the day a song comes out of it and then you know, had me thinking, what are we trying to capture? What's the bigger picture here, you know? So um, that's where Songs of Freedom stem from, and I'm bouncing lyrics up and down, back and forth to Lucky, and what do you think of this one? What do you think of that one? Oh, that would fit there. That would go well. And um, and I think, yeah, it's just one of those songs that people can relate to when you start to get it, let it sink into the soul. It's, um, it is that everyone is looking for a form of freedom Some where sometime in their life you know I think that sort of that song tends to bring that out and um, it's incredible watching the crowd you know we've got people even new crowds we've got people singing along to it so mm. um, I think it's been played in, in advance in front of us and, and, and to see people sing along it's just incredible I, what I love about that song is the line about sing a song for the soldiers who who fought and died mm -hmm. And also, but sing a song for the people who march in the streets. So you put together the two, the two Australians, the people that that fought for Australia in wars, and also the people that are willing to fight domestically for to make this a better country. Would you agree with that, Fred? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's just um, that's a that's a good. I mean, people interpret it differently. Lucky, but you're spot on there. That's the feeling I got when I wrote that, yeah. um, those lines, and it's yeah. It's uh, for me. It sounds like a call to everyone because everyone can make mm. a contribution. Some will do it uh, on the battlefront with their guns. They are trained to do that, but uh, mm. others yeah. are trained to also make the society a better place yeah. through their own actions. So yeah. I think it's it's a line that uh, really strikes a chord there.
I think it strikes the chord with what we're achieving with this national tour, speaking to the country, you know, and as we say, not not exactly marching in the streets, but you know, singing in concert halls and stage venues across the the nation, speaking to you know thousands of people across um, many different cities. But I see, you know, this has been a a thought leadership sort of you know project coming out of the small community of Robin, and more importantly, I think the legacy of the you know Pat family has play, plays a part in this, where we go back to that 40 years ago, and and it sparked a, a national inquiry into deaths in custody. You know, some 330 odd recommendations of an a uh, national inquiry, you know, into that deaths in custody, have still not been fulfilled, and and these are the key sort of points, you know, through the music and through all the concerts and the and the bright lights of it all, the key messages are still there. And, and I believe that's the strength of what we carry through these national tours and we're hoping to continue that as we head back home to Robin on September the 23rd for the 40th anniversary. But we're very excited about being here in Melbourne for the concert on the Melbourne Recital Centre this Friday. And that's all we have time for on today's program. You can listen back to the show anytime online or catch any of our stories on our website at sbs.com.au. NITV Radio will be back next week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 1 till 2 p.m. with more stories from right across the country. I'm your host, Luana Grant, Mandangor. Have a great weekend. There's a song for the sinner, a song for the saint, a song for the hero that saved the day. There's a song for this land, goodbye sea, but I want to hear a song for me. Sing me a song of freedom. Cause I